We are studying Ruth. When you look at Ruth, I think one of the first things that you think of is, well, this is supposed to be unsung heroes. Is that what we're doing? Unsung heroes? But we've been taught about Ruth since we were in little kid class. I don't know what they were called or you were, but I think we were called sunbeams or something like that. So the story of Ruth has been taught to us and taught to us and taught to us. And I think one of the problems with that is that we become so accustomed to hearing that word that we kind of turn our heads off to what's in it because we've just seen it so much. And, and as I said, having taught it the last time, I was looking at my notes from the last time and then seeing what they were doing here, and I found so much more in it this time that actually if we just took the time to study Ruth and to really study it in depth about everything that's in there and everything that's related to it, we could probably spend a month just on that book. It's, it's so full of things. So... Um, did anyone, any of you who were married in the 50s and 60s and maybe into the 70s at your wedding, <clears throat> did, you ha- did anyone have the song sung, Whither Thou Goest? Anybody? Oh, I can't believe it. That was such a common song that was sung at weddings, and it comes from the book of Ruth. Whither thou goest, I will go the whole thing. And it's a, a long song. I think Perry Como maybe made it famous. It's from the book of Ruth. It's called Ruth's Song, and it was sung at many, many, many weddings. Whither thou goest, I will go. Whether, whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people will be my people. It just is so, yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's the one. So. The next question is, there is no wrong answer to it. I guess it could be if you said Wally Pip. But what do you think of when you think of the book Ruth? Just somebody tell me what you think of. What? Kindness. Faithfulness, loyalty. Okay. Anybody else? What do you think about when you think about this book of Ruth? What? Love and devotion. devotion. Right. And one of the themes through it is the kinsman redeemer, and we'll be talking about that, that the kinsman redeemer is in there. There's a lot here. I want to try to give a little historical background because I think it's important so you can see where this book is coming from and the things that are contained in it. We may not get so much into just breaking down everything that's in the book, but I think when you see everything that is around the book that causes it to be as important as it is, that you'll see that there's a lot there. There were five books that were typically brought up and read around the Passover time with the Jews. And Ruth was one of the main books that was read. A Song of Songs, Ezra, Nehemiah, Ruth, there's another one I can't remember. But these books were always read in the time of the Passover. And Ruth in particular. So, you know, that should make you want and think about why would the Israelites during this time where they're having this festival what was so important about the book of Ruth that they would read the book of Ruth from you know front to back? And I think it's because of the setup and what's, what's in it. Historically, you have to go back to like 1 Kings 19.18, which is like Romans 11.5. 
the first thing that we always remember, and one of our cardinal rules is that there's nothing in these scriptures that's unimportant. If it says something, if it says a name, if it makes a little statement in the Bible, everything means something, everything's important. And God always has a remnant of people, no matter what's going on, no matter what the circumstances, God has a remnant. And he always keeps a remnant. And especially if you were to look at 1 Kings 19 and 18, when Elijah was running from Jezebel because she said, I'm going to kill you. And all the story about Elijah running, and he's talking about how she's going to kill him, and it's just me and me alone. And God went, told, he told him, you're not alone. I have a thousand men who have not bowed the knee, who have not given up. I have a thousand men right now. And he's always doing that. I always have that remnant of people. He always he has them. He has them there. And if you want to read First Kings nineteen and see that, that would be a good read. And it's Romans eleven five talks about it as well. One of the first things that you see when you when you look here at Ruth, and one of the first statements that's made, the first seven words in the days when the judges ruled. It means something. That's there for a reason. And if you, you just pass by that, go, okay, cool. It's the judges, you know, big deal. It means something because it ties in everything here in these first couple of chapters. If, you, if you're sitting there at Ruth 1, 1, look to the left, Josh, Judges 21, 13. In the period of the Judges, it was a time of complete upheaval. There was... Is crazy, craziness everywhere. But look at the uh, last verse in Judges. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. Chaos. It was complete, do your own thing, no rule, no boundaries. Everyone did as he saw fit. And this is a time period through which Ruth is coming. It also, if you will see the next word, there was a famine in the land. Uh, that ties back into the period of Judges, and that ties back into Gideon. Do you remember the story of Gideon? And it's during the period of Judges. Do you remember the story of Gideon? Why was he threshing on the threshing floor? It's because the Israelites had rebelled again. God took the people, put them into captivity, and all their enemies around them were coming into the land and taking everything. They were taking all of their food, all of the crops, all of the cattle, all of their sheep. They were taking everything, and they were starving to death. And they, there, so there was a great famine in the land at that time, and that's, it's believed to be why this says that here is that that's the time period around the period of Gideon here that this is going on because the Gideon talks about that famine and about all of those people coming in and taking all of the crops, and they basically had nothing to eat. And the reason Gideon was on the threshing floor, hiding on the threshing floor, was he's trying to thresh some wheat and get some wheat without them finding it and them coming in and stealing his wheat so he could have something to eat. So it's during this time period that this is done. Um, now, also, just a little side historical note, um, some people believe that this was written in response to what Ezra and Nehemiah were saying at the time. 
because Nehemiah was preaching, basically the not preaching but teaching and requesting like the purity of the races, don't intermarry, don't do that, don't intermarry, and this was something of a response to that. I don't, that's, I don't see that. I think I see exactly what, what he's after here. There was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Here's another, the thing of their names. This, the man's name was Elimelech, his wife named Naomi. The name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. I guess that's how you say that. And here is more important words, and this is a, the next phrase is very important to see the tie-in about what's happening here with this Ruth. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. Okay, so what does that mean? Yeah, again, the Ephrathites, they were descendants of Ephrathah, who was the wife to Caleb and the mother of her. And if you have, think about it, if somebody could grab Micah 5-2 real quickly for me. The reason that is stuck in there, Ephrathah, and from Bethlehem, and they were advertised from Bethlehem, you will see what the tie-in is here about this whole book and everything in it is pointing to the faithfulness of God and the preservation of the line of the tribe of Judah. Uh, somebody have Micah 5, too, that they could read for me real quickly because I don't have it open. Okay, read it. All right, that's why it's stated. So this is what the author is pointing toward. This is the lineage of Jesus, and it's coming through Bethlehem, Ephtah, and this family is of the tribe of Judah. And you will see, and we see that Ruth's name is in the lineage of Jesus. So this is about the faithfulness of God, his covenant, and him bringing his plan forward through these people. So you have, and we reread earlier about Boaz and the things about Boaz and how his line came down. And suddenly there's Ruth here, and she's from Moab, and that has its own set of problems. The Israelites didn't like the Moabites. Moses explained to the Israelites, and the reason they didn't, and there was a specific command from God to them to, don't, to not marry the people of Moab. Don't marry them. A specific command to them to not marry the people from Moab. And the reason God gave for them not to marry Moabites is because they were pagans and that they would lead your sons astray into sin and, and idol worship. And they lived just east of the Dead Sea and they occupied the countryside north of Moab where the Ammonites and the Moabites lived. But they were both tribes were related by blood to Abraham, as they descended from his nephew Lot. But given the ancestral origins of Moab and Amnon, we are not surprised that the contact with these people brought much trouble from Abraham's children, as these people sinned like their parents. And Moab did, in fact, lead Israel into Baal worship on its way into Canaan. And then you can read that like in Numbers. 
And then the Ammonites and Moabites, if you remember, hired Balaam to curse Israel as it journeyed through the promised land and trying to give them as much problems as they could. So there's kind of this, the situation and the um, outline of what we have there and what's going on in the historical context plus that thread of Jesus, that thread of God's faithfulness bringing his line into the line of the tribe of Judah. And again, the reason that is important and this author is doing that is if you look at the very end of the book, and then he starts talking about the genealogy of David. So as all this is done and produced to show us that this is moving the lineage toward David moving the lineage toward Jesus. The words and the things that you said earlier about what you think about when you're there, that's correct. The main word that you have that you should write down that is evident here in Ruth is the word hased, H-E-S-E-D, hased, and I will explain it, not Sheila, she shed, hased, okay? Hased, not Sheila's, she shed. Hased. That's what this book is dealing with. And Ruth is dealing with this, the Hased. It's the Yahweh, the I Am, his covenant relationship toward his servants and his covenant relationship toward keeping his promise. And it works beautifully in this book because. The Hased, and I want to explain Hased a little bit so that we can see how it applied in the book of Ruth and how it led to this happening and Ruth marrying and into the line of the tribe of Judah. Deuteronomy 7 9 says this in, in, in the Hebrew You must know that Yahweh is your God, He is, he is the faithful God keeping his covenant and his hased with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So it's, a, it's fundamental here, and it, it's not just loving kindness and affection and mercy. It is a covenant relationship. When he makes a, God makes a covenant with his people, he will keep it. And alongside this hased, this covenant relationship, is God's truthfulness that runs us beside it. It's the character of God that he will not break his promise and that he will carry his promise through. So we're working here with that, and there's some great language here about that. It's conduct corresponding to a mutual relationships of rights and duties. And in other words, and you will see with Ruth that she became a believer. And at the moment that she became a believer, and we will get to that point here in a minute, at the moment she became a believer and trusted in God and said, your God will be my God, your people will be my people. That is her conversion moment there. That's, that's her conversion. Much like Rahab's conversion that we saw earlier. When she started talking about, we know who your God is. We have seen his mighty works. And we have seen what your God has done coming in through this land. She, too, is, has come to this point because she has been living 
as the Moabite with this clan of Israelites, and she has seen this relationship that they had to their God. And at this point where Ruth begins to say that your God's going to be my God, she's accepting Jehovah God as her God, and that's her conversion experience. And with that comes this mutual relationship that God is going to be faithful and she's going to be faithful. And this, this is always our part of this, is that God's promises are true and will not fail. But we have to walk in faith for those to be exercised. And that is what Ruth is doing here when she accepts Naomi's God as her God. She begins to walk in truth with him. So this has said, this, where God cannot break his promise to her, she in turn has to quote has said back to him saying, I will keep my promise to you and I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And then it is that connection, the Hased of God, the faithfulness of God, and the faithfulness of a person when they come together that leads them into what should be a change in your nature and a change in your character. And you will see that that has happened here with Ruth. She accepts God and then, and then see what she does here in relationship to that. So let me, let's just get down there where she goes to her conversion experience here. They went to Moab because of that famine. And then they learned that the famine was over. So then they decide they're going to come out. And Naomi starts talking about, we're going to go back. I'm going to go back to my homeland. And we're going to go where there's some food. And hopefully we can stay alive. I mean, she says the same things. Your, your people are going to be, your God's going to be my God. Your people are going to be my people. I'm going to go wherever you go. Now, the other interesting aspect here of Ruth that, that's happening at this time is you, you see that they're going back, but they're going back at the barley harvest. Okay. Anybody remember the significance of the barley harvest in Jewish times? But what's so important about the barley harvest? Uh, the barley harvest happened in April of each year. And at the end of the barley harvest, there was always this festival, the Passover. So she's going back into Jerusalem through the barley harvest and at the end of the barley harvest. And now we're talking about this kinsman redeemer, Boaz, this kinsman redeemer there at the barley harvest who comes and redeems and takes the people. And that is a shadowing of Jesus about how at the time of the Passover, after the barley harvest and the Passover, he becomes our kinsman redeemer and takes us as his, and he's our kinsman redeemer. So it's a shadowing of that as well. All right, let me get over here. All right, so the, the Hesed corresponds with, it's a, it's a mutual relationship of rights. I do this, you do that. If you, if you are in a homeowner's association, it is very similar to Hesed. Benefits and burdens. The homeowners association, you have dues you have to pay. The benefit is that everybody's property is supposed to look nice and stay maintained. Your burden, the thing that you have to do is you have to do your part and you have to keep your property looking clean. It's a very similar kind of relationship here. And, then, and, 
in the book of Ruth, it uses this language more than anywhere else about this hesed. Okay, let's go over here. If somebody is looking right at it where Ruth starts telling her, I'm going to stay with you, somebody will read that because I'm having to try to look down and find it. So. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whether thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, give God the death of the Yes. That's her conversion experience. So then she takes upon herself to take care of her mother-in-law. And Naomi suggests that they go to go back to Bethlehem and they go there during that barley harvest in April, right prior to what would be the Passover. And then we have the interaction here between Ruth and Boaz. And I think you're familiar with that, that he let her glean from the property that was a an Israelite thing that the poor could come and glean from the things that were left behind. And she went out and she gleaned in the field. They became aware of whom they were related to in this relationship between them. And Naomi suggested to Ruth that she do the traditional thing to lay down at, the, at his feet and cover his feet. And that brought in to bearing the kinsman redeemer aspect, because Boaz understood that. I'm a kinsman redeemer, but there's some, if there's someone that is more closely related, then they have the first duty. So he went to him, he didn't want to do it. Boaz took his responsibility to God and to his family as a kinsman redeemer, and he executed upon it. Not like Onan at two weeks ago, I think it was, Charlie talked about Onan, where Onan was to do the same thing. And Onan, Onan didn't hold up his end of the bargain. He pretended to do it, but he uh, didn't do it fully, and God killed him. And, in fact, just trivia. If you look in the dictionary, there is a word called Onanism, and it refers back to all this, but it's in the dictionary. God killed him because he didn't faithfully discharge his duty as a kinsman redeemer. And that's one reason he took it, God took it so sternly, but he was not doing his duty to keep the line alive, and he took his life. And whereas Boaz here does it, does everything right, and does the kinsman redeemer, and not only for the sake of God and upholding the covenant of the Israelite land, the covenant, but the covenant with God that he would do that and, in fact, did bring forth and became the kinsman redeemer. From that, Naomi's line was reinstated, and from that, we have that line from Ruth going back down, all these children going down that they had leading back to in chapter 5, where he starts talking about the genealogy of David. So without going into just a great deal of uh, reading with Ruth, that's what this is about. The faithfulness of God, keeping his promises. As he said in Micah, it's going to come from here. And that line kept that line came through there because of the faithfulness of Boaz, the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of Boaz to keep his 
promise to God and the faithfulness of Ruth who, when she believed in Jesus at her conversion experience, she did her part of the chesed. And it's, it was the faith of Ruth that got, us, got that there. It's a faith. And one of the other lessons here, one of the, the main lessons is this, it's not about ethnicity that brings you to God. You don't have to be a certain ethnicity. You come by faith. So we have that Moabite woman, and she came because she came by faith, just as Rahab did. Rahab being the first Gentile convert, it was her faith and the trust and the belief in God and that scarlet thread that she put out the window to signify. And she did everything that she was supposed to do to keep the promise. So it led to, it led to David. It led down to the line of the tribe of Judah. And it led to Jesus because of the faithfulness of God and the faithfulness of Boaz and the faithfulness of Ruth. And that is the beautiful story there. It's not just about marriage. It's about God's promise to keep his line alive and that God will always keep his promises to us. And anyone who trusts and believes in God, no matter ethnicity, it's not a matter of that. It's a matter of faith. You believe and you come to him, and he will be faithful to you. And we do our part to be faithful to him and carry on what we should do. So it is a very beautiful story. It doesn't matter who wrote it. There's all kinds of discourse about who wrote it. It's not necessary who wrote it because uh, it's talked about in the New Testament about Ruth and the things that happened there. The main thing is that faithfulness of God and the line, the line of the lion of the tribe of Judah was kept alive. And that is, well, if we, all right, I'll go back into here real quickly. If you go into Revelation chapter 4 and 5, where the seal is being broken. There, there's the scroll, and the scroll is brought to them. And there's no one is worthy to open the scroll. And they're talking about who is there? Who can, who can open the scroll? Is there anyone worthy to open this scroll? And the scroll is actually like the title deed back to the earth. And then it talks about the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He is worthy. And that is, is Jesus. And he, he is worthy to open the scroll. And the seven seals. And this is that lion of the tribe of Judah that came through this line that he's talking about. And he opened the scroll. And it wasn't just, you know, it's a seven seal scroll. And if you read through there, each seal had to be independently broken because it was sealed and then rolled and sealed and rolled and sealed and rolled. So the, it was rolled from the inside out with a seal, next line, a seal, and there were seven seals. They had to break each and every one of those seals. But that's the line of the tribe of Judah that came through the faithfulness of God and the faithfulness of people to act and believe on the word of God and do what they should. So, beautiful story. I'm glad I got to teach it again because I learned a lot from looking at this. So.